church. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter, the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter, where we read a story that is only recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. Now, it's a familiar story. You'll recognize it right away. And I want to speak to you this evening from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, on the theme, How to Turn Anxiety into Serenity. Turning Anxiety into Serenity, as we read together, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she should help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word. Father, use this passage that we know so well to minister to our hearts this evening. For we know that all of us suffer from the plague often, of being fearful and anxious, filled with worry. So Lord, help us to find the prescription that you've provided in your word so that we can know the blessing of living at peace, at peace with God, peace with others, and having peace in our own hearts. And we'll thank you for it, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. A camper wrote home, Dear Mom and Dad, Our scoutmaster told us to write to our parents in case you saw the flood on TV and were worried. We're okay. Only one of our tents and two of our sleeping bags got washed away. Luckily, none of us got drowned because we were all on the mountain looking for Chip when it happened. Oh, yes. Please call Chip's mother and tell her he's okay. He can't write because of the cast. We'll come home on Saturday if Scoutmaster Long gets the car fixed. The wreck wasn't his fault. The brakes worked okay when we left. Scoutmaster Long said that The car was old. You have to expect something to break down. That's probably why he can't get insurance on it. (laughs) We think it's a neat car. He doesn't care if it's dirty and if it's hot. Sometimes when it's hot, he lets us ride on the tailgate. It gets pretty hot when 10 people are in the car. He let us take turns riding on the trailer until the highway patrolman stopped and talked to us. Scoutmaster Long's a neat guy. Don't worry, he's a good driver. This morning, all the guys were diving off the rocks and swimming out in the lake when Dave dove into the lake and cut his arm. We all got to see how a tourniquet works. Also, Wade and I threw up. Scoutmaster Long said it was probably just food poisoning from the leftover chicken. I have to go now. We're going to town to mail our letters and buy bullets. Scoutmaster Long has a big pistol. He's going to teach us how to shoot it. Uh, The reason we have to buy more bullets is Jimmy threw all the others in the fire. Sure was a loud sound. It was neat, though. It sounded like a bunch of bees flying over the fire. Don't worry about anything. We're fine. Love coal. P.S. How long has it been since I had a tetanus shot? I trust you know that's not real. In their book, Worry-Free Living, 
Minrith and Meyer and Hawkins make an observation. Their observation is worry is the number one health disorder in America today. Most of us are plagued by some measure of worry. We live in a stressed out, uptight society. And worry brings about a lot of different effects on people. For some, cardiac palpitations. For others, mental paralysis. Some have gastrointestinal disorders. Some suffer from shortness of breath. Others talk about their headaches and their high blood pressure and their insomnia. And all this is happening to people who are allowing it to happen to them because it's self-inflicted. We worry and we bring it upon ourselves. And we seek help, or some seek help, through psychoanalysis, through medications, through exercise. Some even seek to end their worry through suicide. Yet the plague persists. Our Lord wants us to live worry-free lives. Isn't that wonderful? In John 14 and verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Spirit of God commands the Christian to be calm. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. I'd like to suggest to you that the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 provides a prescription for those who would desire to turn their anxiety into serenity. We find here in the passage that we've read the reasons for much of our anxiety. We also find the results of living an anxiety-filled life. And finally, we find the remedy that has been provided by the Spirit of God for the anxiety that we face. In fact, it's a remedy that the Savior himself recommends. So let's begin in this passage by asking, what are the reasons for our anxiety? You'll remember that Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14 introduces Luke to us as the beloved doctor who traveled with the Apostle Paul. Greek by training, brilliant by God-given aptitude, the author of the book of Acts, the world's greatest history book, and the wonderful history of the church, and also the author of this, the book of Luke. The beloved physician looks carefully at Martha, and he records, if you don't mind me saying it this way, he records Martha's chart for us. And we see how the doctor is looking at her anxiety in verse 40. Dr. Luke says she was cumbered or distracted. He adds to that chart in verse 41 when he says she was careful or she was anxious and troubled. She was stressed out. Why was she stressed out? Well, verse 38 provides a clue. The Bible says, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received her, or received him rather, into her house. This, of course, is the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Four times their home is mentioned in the gospel account. And every time their home is mentioned, Martha's name is mentioned first. Martha is going to be hosting Jesus, hosting along with Jesus the 12 disciples who travel with him, as well as herself, her sister, her brother. There are 16 people coming into that home. We wonder, why is her name first? Why isn't it the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha? Why is it the home of Mary, 
or of Martha rather, and Mary and Lazarus. Some say, well, it's likely that she was the firstborn. Others say, no, it's, it's probable that she actually owned the house that her siblings were living in. We don't really know, but we know this. It was her responsibility to entertain the Lord. It seems that she's the one who has invited this entourage to come to her home for dinner. You ever hosted a dinner party? Some of you, not too many days ago, hosted Thanksgiving. How'd it go? How was your blood pressure on the night before Thanksgiving? My wife loves to host people, and I'm constantly amazed by the serenity that God has given to her in the midst of the many challenges. Sometimes I'm far more anxious than she is. And the bigger the group, the more my anxiety builds. Martha was plenty anxious. On the surface, the reasons for Martha's anxiety seem obvious. She's got a crowd to please. There's a plural pronoun in verse 38. They went and he entered. This is the whole group. Martha was going to be hosting the classic hungry fisherman. Peter must have been head of the line when the buffet was being served. He expended a lot of energy, most of it talking, and no doubt he was hungry for dinner. Martha knew and sympathized with the Savior whose activity schedule was always ever so busy. On the surface, she's entertaining a large group and her anxiety is building. But below the surface, we discover the real reason for her anxiety. There's a key word in Luke's medical chart here. It's found in verse 40. Martha was cumbered about with much service. I'm sure you've heard the Greek word perispao. It's very familiar to all of us, right? Peri means around. We get our word periscope. And spao means to be pulled. That's a really descriptive word. She's being pulled in all directions by what's happening in her home that particular day. Her earthly cares are great. Her anxiety is growing. She's literally being pulled apart. Jesus warned about that. Jesus said in Mark 4 and verse 19 that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things can enter in and actually choke, pull apart even the word. She is being pulled apart by her anxiety. Luke sets Martha's disposition against that of her sister. We find in verse 39 that Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Mary heard Jesus teach. We know the story well. Did you know that Satan can distract you from what is most important by causing you to fixate on what is most urgent? Happens every day. The important things that we know are eternal in value often get pushed aside because of that which is urgent. The phone just rang. A package just came. A child needs help at the dinner table. Your husband just asked you a question. Your boss needs this to happen yesterday. And the urgent pushes away that which is important. And Jesus speaks to Martha in verse 41. Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But he says in verse 42, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part. Since Luke described Mary as being at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words, we have a clear understanding of what the most important thing is. The most needful thing was to be at the feet of Jesus, to be listening to his words. 
So the scene in Luke chapter 10 confronts us with this common problem. Often we find ourselves limiting our time with the Savior in order to maximize our time with everything else. We limit our time with the Lord. And when we limit our time with the Lord, we find ourselves filled with anxiety. Where there is limited time spent with the Lord, there's plenty of room for anxiety to grow. (laughs) It works that way. Jesus, after all, in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, is called the Prince of Peace. It's only Jesus who can say in John 14 and verse 27, my peace I give unto you. Jesus can say to the sea, peace be still, and it becomes calm. And Jesus can say to my soul and to yours, peace be still, and drive our anxiety away. Martha pictures the friend of Jesus toiling to exhaustion, failing in personal devotion. And in toiling to exhaustion and failing to personal devotion, devotion, she's getting a lot done, but she's not happy about it. I'm told that the Bugatti Viron Supersport is the fastest street legal car on the road today. I'm not really interested in buying one, but the Bugatti has a 1,200 horsepower motor That doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of girls in this place, but this might. It can go 267 miles an hour. And if you're interested in buying one, it costs $2.4 million. That gives me anxiety thinking about that alone. Imagine you do own that car, 1,200 horsepower under the hood, $2.4 million. It's a pretty thing to see. It can do 247 miles an hour on the highway, and you're coming down Lattimore Road to come to church tonight. And you look at your gas gauge and you realize, oh my, I forgot to fill this thing up. You know, it takes an awful lot of gas to feed 1,200 horsepower. And suddenly you realize, I'm going to run out of gas. And you run out of gas. You pull over to the side of the road and you think, it's only about a mile or so to come to church tonight. So you push that car in here. By the time you get in here, you're exhausted. Now you still have a pretty car. It still has 1,200 horsepower under the hood. People are still envious of the car that you have. You've accomplished a lot in getting here this evening, but you did it the hard way. Why? You didn't have any fuel in the tank. Dear friend, you realize that when you don't spend time with the Savior and his word, you're trying to run on empty. You might still have the power under the hood, but it's not being accessed. You're not equipped to run on empty. You see, the word of God tells us it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And the Lord Jesus has told us that without him, we can do nothing. Now, there's somebody in this room this night who's thinking, Pastor Phelps, I love this message. You're identifying with right where I am. I've been so busy. I know what I need to do. I need to take a sabbatical and just study God's word and spend time with Jesus so my batteries can be recharged and I can head down the highway with happiness and rid myself of anxiety. Now, wait a minute before you take that sabbatical. The Word of God tells us to work for the night is coming. We've got to balance principles here. One of the principles we need to balance is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. We're not to be slothful in business, but rather to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I'm not telling you to take a sabbatical, but I am saying you need to spend time with Jesus. Martha's anxiety was real. She'd become distracted by her many domestic pursuits. So let's continue on with the case study we find here this evening. 
Let's look at the results of her anxiety. And I find as I look at the results of her anxiety that the Spirit of God has a mirror that he's holding up into my, into my face. They're compelling verses, verses 40 and 41. Martha seems oblivious to her emotional condition. Everyone else can sense that she's on edge. All she's concerned about is serving that meal and serving it on time. The results of Martha's anxiety-filled lifestyle are seen on three different levels in this text. First, consider the results of her anxiety conversationally. In verse 40, Martha being cumbered about with much serving becomes very brash. She came to him. She suddenly breaks in to the lesson that he's teaching his disciples as Mary sits at his feet. She came into him and she's ever so critical. Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore to help me. What's she doing in here? I could use a little help in the kitchen. She's critical because after all, nobody's carrying the weight she's carrying. Nobody else is as busy as she is. Nobody else has as much responsibility as she has. I look at her conversationally and I see she's very self-centered. In fact, there are three words that I've circled in verse 40. Here are the words, me, alone, me. <laughs> at the end of the verse, she identifies that herself is all that she seems to be cared, caring about. And Matthew chapter 12 reminds us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And even so, when I find myself filled with anxiety, I find myself convicted by this. The people I love most find out about it first. I share it with my wife. I lay it on my kids. I even talk to the dog from time to time. I let anybody that will have a soft shoulder know how bad I have it. That's where Martha is. She gives herself away conversationally. And the results of her anxiety are certainly seen in this passage emotionally. Jesus immediately responds in verse 41. Martha, Martha, thou art careful. There's another one of those words that's worth looking behind. Because the Greek language tells us something about this word. In fact, this word that's translated for us in this passage is carefulness or care is found 23 times in the New Testament. And it literally means to go to pieces. Martha, you're going to pieces. She's a lot like the person who was heard to say, this is my nervous breakdown. I've earned it. And as soon as I get done with Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going to enjoy it. There are people like that in the world. That's where Martha was at that time. Jesus says, and you're troubled about many things. That's a very emotional word. She's upset. She's disturbed. And it's not cute. Martha was just letting her sister have a piece of her mind. No, Martha was doing more than letting her sister and the Lord have a piece of her mind. Come back with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 6. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we learn something about her state of mind. Matthew chapter 6, you'll recall these words of the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount beginning in verse 25. Jesus said, Take therefore no thought for your life, what you will eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you'll put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. 
nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toll not, neither they spin. And yet I send you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things that the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of, that you have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And if we haven't heard it already, here it comes again. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. No, Martha's problem was not simply a critical spirit toward her sister. Martha's problem was sin. What do you mean, Pastor Phelps? Well, Jesus is using the same word that's translated careful over here in Luke chapter 10 in Matthew chapter 6, but he's saying it in the imperative. That's the command. He's saying over and again, stop it. Stop being anxious. Stop being worried. Stop it. Knock it off. Don't be a person who's always wringing their hands and saying that's just the way I am. Translate it the way I translate it. Jesus is saying it's sin. What Jesus commands and we disobey is sin. So when Jesus speaks to Martha, he speaks to her very seriously. And so I consider Martha's situation over here in Luke chapter 10 and realize that the results of her anxiety are not only discovered conversationally and discovered emotionally, but they're also discovered relationally. In verse 40, what is it that she said? (laughs) Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me alone? Ryrie says, in so saying, the woman sadly forgot who she was and to whom she was speaking. Lord, don't you care? She forgot who she was and to whom she was speaking. She's accusing those that she loves of negligence. Isn't that easy to do? We find when we're so full of pressure, we find a a need for an outlet. And often we let off steam on the people we love the most. Martha, in putting herself first and putting her agenda first, putting her priorities first, putting her responsibilities first, is failing and she's sinning. She's living an anxiety-filled life. Somebody has said, worry is nothing but unbelief wearing a devilish disguise. I like that. Our anxiety dishonors God. Our anxiety disrupts our friendships. Our anxiety discredits our service. So we've looked this evening at the reasons for Martha's anxiety. The cares of this world had cumbered her. And the results of her anxiety. She's now complaining while she's still serving. So let's look at the remedy that is prescribed for anxiety. The great physician is in the room. Will you listen to him? Martha, Martha, verse 41. Thou art troubled about many things. This is the diagnosis that Jesus has given for her anxiety. Now comes the prescription. 
It's found there in verse 42. One thing's needful. Here's the prescription. Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha expected Jesus to straighten out Mary. (laughs) Jesus straightened out Martha. Jesus doesn't condemn her for her service. I'm thankful for that. He doesn't counsel her to slow down. I find that many times when people in our congregation find themselves very busy and anxious about their service, their first remedy is to drop out, to find a way to just kick back, enjoy their sabbatical. That's not the remedy Jesus has given at all. Jesus tells her one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part and it will not be taken away. What's Jesus saying? Well, the answer, of course, is in the context. You're troubled with many things, he says. Mary is focusing on one thing. What had Mary chosen? Well, Mary was sitting, we all know, at the feet of Jesus. She was hearing the word. And here's the remedy. It's the word of God. The word of God is the spirit's remedy for the sickness of our souls. And surely the most common sickness of our souls is the sickness of worry. And when worry rears its ugly head, I need to be reminded it's because I'm not spiritually saturated enough with scripture. I need the antidote. Just as a person needs an antidote when they've been bitten by a snake, I need the antidote when I'm bitten by worry. And the antidote is God's word. I have found, and you'll find it too, that in every situation, in every trouble, God's got a promise for that. He's got a parallel for that. We serve a high priest who knows the feelings of our infirmities. And every time I've gone to meditate before the Lord about the circumstance I find myself in, I find the one who's not only closer than a brother, but a one whose life brings parallels that bring me peace. The one who gives promise in the midst of my anxiety. The remedy for anxiety is God's word. The psalmist knew that. He said in Psalm 85 and verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people. Psalm 119 and verse 165, Great peace have they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. How do I move from anxiety to tranquility? Sit down and listen. It's that simple. Sit down and listen and you'll find that God's word has what's necessary to silence your troubled soul. Now the Lord doesn't say, I'm going to say it again, the Lord doesn't say stop serving. If you stop serving, you'll really be filled with anxiety. (laughs) If you stop serving, you'll really be troubled because the judgment seat of Christ is coming. He doesn't say stop serving. But we listen to his promises. He has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I've been young and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken. I've not seen his seed begging bread. We learn from the promises of God and we learn from the people of God that all these things happen to them in times past for our examples and we learn from the principles of God. Take your Bible for just a minute and turn over to the Gospel of John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We find ourselves in John chapter 11 just a few months after our Savior challenged Martha 
to learn like Mary had been learning. But in John chapter 11, you recall that Martha's brother, Lazarus, has died. Now let's see how Martha handles the tragedy that came into her life, having learned from the Savior that she needed to sit down and listen just a bit. In verse 21, Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, he will give to thee. Martha came to trust in the power of Christ. Where did she learn that? Maybe she learned it on that day when she learned to sit down at the feet of the Savior rather than be stewing in the kitchen. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She affirmed her belief in the resurrection of the Savior. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she said to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. You know, the last person who said that was Peter. And Peter heard Jesus say, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. That same confession that Peter made is now coming from the lips of Martha. Where did that come from? It came from her quiet time with the Lord. She learned a lesson she needed because a greater trouble was coming. A far greater trouble than a burnt roast in the kitchen. Her brother died. When her brother died, her attachment to the word of God caused her to believe in the power of Christ to answer any trouble, caused her to believe in the resurrection that was certain, caused her to bring glory to Christ by recognizing him as the God-sent Messiah and causing her to reach out to her sister. When she had said so, she went her way, verse 28, and called Mary, her sister, secretly saying, the master has come. He's calling for you. She's pointing Mary to Jesus. Come over with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus is in Bethany again where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, resided. There they made him a supper and oh, there it is again, Martha's serving. But Lazarus was one of them who sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, anointing the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why hast thou not not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was in it. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing, she has kept this. For the poor always have you have with you, but me you have not always. Martha, because she'd spent time with the Savior, had hope in a time of sorrow. Mary had joy in the midst of sacrifice. 300 pence over a year's salary she's pouring at the feet of Jesus. What gave these two ladies such amazing spiritual abilities to have joy in the face of sorrow, to have sacrifice with great joy accompanying it while they'd spent time with Jesus? You see, God's word doesn't just cure our anxiety. It helps us to understand that we can endure sorrow because he's there. It helps us to understand that we can minister with sacrifice because he's there. 
What's the cure for my anxiety? Spending time with Jesus and time in his word. Things that were once wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. Closed in everlasting arms, pillowed on his loving breast. Oh, to lie forever here, doubt and care and self-resign, while he whispers in my ear, I am his and he is mine. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. And we confess, we find ourselves much troubled with many cares. Lord, I don't know what folk in this room this evening are going through, but I know you do. So Lord, if you need to convict some heart because they've had time for everything else, but their quiet time with you, convict them this evening. And Lord, if they see that anxiety, help them to know that your word says that it's the vacuum that's being filled because you're not there. So Lord, I pray that they draw close. We know that you never leave us nor forsake us, but we confess, Lord, that many times we leave you and forsake you. So help us to draw near and help the indicator on the dashboard that you've given to us by your power, that worry, to remind us that the worry's there because we've not drawn close. And may we fill our lives with your word by the power of the Spirit of God that we might live for you and one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.